What's your biggest or worst career struggle? I think in terms, I think professionally, um, I think COVID. Um, and I, I came from a hospitality sector. As you can imagine, if people are not traveling, nobody's going to come. There ain't no hospitality. There ain't no hospitality. <laughs> Welcome to Pass the Power with me, Paige Parker. I'm an author, advocate, tiger mom, and even claim a Guinness World Record for traveling the world to 116 countries with my husband, Jim Rogers. We up and left New York City 15 years ago to move to Singapore. Why? Because we believe Asia is the future and we wanted to immerse our daughters in Asia as well as for them to be fluent in Mandarin. Tamin Shaw, Hin Hao, Mama Shaw, Buhao. This podcast began during the pandemic because I wanted to offer conversations of hope. And as it evolves, I hope I do too. I'll dig deeper personally and give you more from guests as I continue to tap into my connections, sharing the most compelling stories to help you attain your goals personally and professionally. As a lifelong learner myself, there's little more I enjoy than exploring topics with our fascinating guests and sharing it all with you. So together, we may pass the power. Colin Lowe, who is Singapore Land Authority's chief executive, and I became friends via LinkedIn, believe it or not. His helpful and encouraging post on Singapore real estate, new projects, geospatial chatter, and sustainability, they've all educated me on the happenings in the little red dot. And when we met in person, we really hit it off. So I thought all of us would benefit from hearing his authentic and meaningful stories. Colin, it's so good to have you here. Thank you for joining us on Pass the Power with Paige Parker. No, thanks for having me on the show, Paige. Yeah, thank you. You want to start by giving us just a quick intro? Who is Colin Lowe? Uh, well, thanks, Paige. Uh, you know, I, I saw your long list of illustrious speakers before me, and I really feel the pressure. <laughs> my name is Colin, as, as Paige uh, you know, mentioned. Uh, my name is Colin. I'm the Chief Executive of Singapore Land Authority. In fact, yeah, this is my very first public sector role. I joined SLA in the midst of COVID, April last year, April 2021. Prior to this, I've always been in the private sector. The last 20 years or so, I've always been in, in our real estate. It's a common thread throughout. So my very first public sector role, and, and I've been enjoying the ride so far for the last one and a half years, or one year and seven, eight months, yeah. And the 10 years before SLA, you were at Fraser's? Yes, I was. And you ultimately were leading business investment and operational strategies? Pretty much so, yes, Big, please. big job. You were in London, you took this job. What there prepared you to lead Singapore Land Authority? Yeah. You know, um, when I was with Fraser's, I joined them in 2011 as a head of business development. This is for the hospitality side of Fraser's. Uh, and when you're doing business development investment, you've got to meet with different people. And I had the benefit of traveling pretty much across the world, Asia, Pacific, Europe. And I think, I think in that uh, respect, I got to interact with a lot of different people, people from different cultures, different nationalities, and I think not just people from different geographies, but also different types of people. Um, it, as you would know from a property real estate point of view, sometimes you get to meet the heads of, of, uh, of, of tycoons of owners. I mean, the owners of the hotels, the owners of service apartments, uh, to the extent also fund managers, professional fund managers, but also through the course of hospitality work, you meet with the, 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 door, the door boy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the chamber maids, the people that are working the operations. 
And I think it's uh, nuancing. How do you communicate um, to different languages? How do you nuance your message accordingly to get what you want? Um, and I think through phrases, it's a mixed-use development, multi-asset class kind of an entity. Other than hospitality, there's residential, there's offices. Uh, I think that experience helped me in this current role in SLA to meet with different stakeholders. And now at SLA and looking back to Fraser's, what's the biggest challenge in the transition? from the private sector to the public se sector. A lot of people listening now are career-minded folks. They're looking right. for you to give them, you know, kind of tangible takeaways. So how do you deal with the, with the transition? Paige, lots of acronyms in the public sector, something I'm getting used to as well, the different ABCs and EFGs and what have you. A lot of that, whether is it the name of a meeting, the name of an organization, the name of a department, that is something I'm getting used to as well. But as you rightly said, in, in, a, in a private sector in phrases, um, the job that I was hating prior to this, immediately prior to this role, I was the CEO of a, a hospitality REIT. It's listed on the Stock Exchange of Singapore, and it has a very singular KPI. That's to increase your distribution per unit. Very visible, very singular, very identifiable. I think the biggest challenge for me is that when you cross over the public sector, you do not have this singular KPI because the work that you're doing is not just for economic use, it's about social and community use. Now, how do you label that? How do you quantify that? And I think with that comes the challenge as well, which is why I took on this role. And then COVID made a lot of people rethink about priorities. Uh, for me personally, it's really about how visible your KPIs are. And I think from that perspective, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a public sector or private sector, if the end users, consumers' lives are enriched. And I think that's, that's the philosophy that we should adopt. But it also sounds in the transition that you were ready to make it about more than money. Yeah, yeah. But you're never ready. <laughs> you can always be, you can always prep yourself, you can think about what you think you're ready for, but until you land up in that role, that's where the real situation happens, right? In terms of uh, the, the KPIs that you have had, the different uh, operational roles. But I think most importantly is the team that you have. It's, again, it's about how you draw strength from, from a certain individual. Mm -hmm. A glass is always half empty or half, half full. It depends on perspective. So I think from that perspective, that's why I, I embrace, I enjoy it, and I'm still uh, enjoying this process, leading the, the guys uh, with me, working with me to see what the common good is for SLA. Because it's been, what, a year and a half? A year and a half, pretty okay. much so. And are you trying to build your team with glass half full people? Yes. You have, to have, you have to have a few who are glass half empty, right, to balance it out? But Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's about culture. And in fact, um, Paige, I had my first session with the SLA colleagues through a town hall, my very first town hall. That was my very first interaction with all the colleagues, um, obviously over Zoom. Uh, you know, I, I actually, I don't even recognize who my colleagues are. And in that town hall, which is held in July 2021, three months after I first joined, I went very personal. I had prepared um, a, stack, a deck of slides, you know, and I, I showed pictures of, of who I was, where, where I grew up in. I grew up in Red Hill in a three-room flat um, where I, had, um, I stayed with my extended family. So eight members of the family and two families in, in a three-room flat in Red Hill. And I showed them about primary school, my secondary school, um, national service, of course, for, for the Singaporean men and us, as well as every step of my career path so far, starting from a bank, you know, and then to, to escort group, business development. And the reason why I went that personal is that the next time when somebody from SLA interacts with me, he or she will know how exactly I'm wired. And I think that's important, especially I, I, I've never worked in the public sector. This is my very first role, and I think it's only right that I share 
uh, how I'm wired, what my experiences are, what I know, what I do not know, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses. And I still remember the very last PowerPoint slide of this deck of slides. I showed a picture and everybody started to laugh. The picture that I showed was Empress New Clothes. I showed that picture, people laughed. And I said that statement, you guys on the ground, you know the situation best. Let me know what the concerns are on the ground, what solutions are there on the ground. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's how I'm wired and that's how I've been um, uh, blessed with a good team from SLA working uh, to, to basically pass a culture or instill a culture of openness, friendliness, um, you know, no silo mentality, teamwork, so and so forth. Well, I hear you and that sounds amazing, but it also sounds very atypical of most bosses and most leaders to go that personal? Is it something that you would encourage the listeners to try to bring to their leadership style? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, funny thing that you mentioned is because I was actually asked a question, um, do I have a mentor? Mm -hmm. And the reason for that question was that because in my CV, my resume, I had two stints with company A, I had two stints with company B. So the question was like, was, was there someone watching over you? But I, I fortunately, unfortunately, I, I did not have a mentor. I do not have a mentor. And uh, coming back to your question, I say the one thing is that be authentic. Mm -hmm. um, just, just be the person that you are. I mean, you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses. Be authentic about it. Um, when I look at back, back at my career path, I never said that in five years, I wanted to be this. In 10 years, I want to be this. I, want to, I never said I wanted an iBanking job as my first job. You know, so, so for the matter, um, I think if you, are, if you are good to people, it doesn't matter whether, whether your counterparty is the CEO or, or the chambermaid or, or the person who cleans or the waiters or waitresses, be authentic about it, uh, be truthful, be sincere in your dealings with people. And I think, I think what will get around, and you'll be surprised. I mean, some of the friendships that I have had 20 years ago when I first started my job, now that I meet them again and to remember, oh, that's you. I remember you were a young officer in this bank. You know, I, I like the work that you do. And now that you're here, wow, I, I'm starting something else. What do you think about this? So, so it's about being authentic throughout your journey. And, and no need to push yourself too much and too hard to, to be so singular in what you think then was right. But actually, there's a lot of other options available. And now that you've been at SLA since April of 2021, can you tell us What's your big picture? How do you want to shape it? I think SLE, a lot of people may not know. If you think about, if you think about MRT and roads, you think about LTA, you think about water, you think about PUB. Um, but when I came onto this role, when I saw what SLA is all about, it's, it's fantastic, it's tremendous, such a large platform. So tell us. Singapore Land Authority has, is the custodian of all state property across Singapore. And in it, we manage about some 2,700 properties and 11,000 hectares of land. That's, that's quite a lot. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's the largest landlord in Singapore. Um, so when I came on board, you know, when I look at the, the properties that's under SLA, uh, I, guide, I discuss with the team, what, what is the strategy of this, this portfolio of properties? Again, wearing my real estate head, uh, hat uh, from my prior experience. So we begin to discuss, begin to think about, let's segmentize into different asset classes, right? You have, under our charge, we have the black and whites. Um, we have to disuse school buildings you know, with populations coming down, births coming around, um, schools are merging. Those disused schools that Ministry of Education doesn't use comes back to the state. How do we activate those spaces? Uh, we've got shop houses, we've got iconic projects like the Dempsey's, the Gilman Barracks, Old Kallang Airport. And I think what's really important is that we are not maximizing it just in terms of economic value. 
what's important is social and community purposes and, and functions as well. So when we discuss with the team, how best do we unlock spaces to be, to be placemakers? The disused school buildings, it is in the residential area, it's in heartland catchment. How do we unlock value? How do we make it a placemaker? So much so that not just economic value, but can it be a social startup incubator space? Things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And that's just one aspect of, of SLA. This is the first vertical, which is land and properties. A lot of people may not know and do not realize SLA is actually the geospatial agency of Singapore. Honestly, Paige, when I first came on board, when I first heard of the term geospatial, mm -hmm. I thought it's a combination of geography, geology, outer space, completely unaware, but it's not simply put, it's about location. Mm -hmm. Think about those days back in the past when we visited another country, we had to use paper maps, right? And you fund bill about uh, how do you get to place to place. But SLA being a geospatial agency of Singapore, we actually have an app called OneMap which pretty much is the Google Map equivalent, but a lot more precise, a lot more information because it's just for Singapore. So how do we democratize it? How do you mainstream it? It need not be just for the planners. Uh, of course, the planners in Singapore utilize that for their planning. But back to democratizing it. As, as an end user, you may be a business consumer, you may be an SME that's in charge of um, you know, landscaping, for example, or parks, or for the matter, pest control. How do you use location technology for the businesses which involves routing where location is very important for your perspective? Mm -hmm. So that's what we've been right. doing for the last X number of months. Well, I wanted to ask you on the geospatial um, idea. It's something that I see more and more on LinkedIn. Yeah. And as the population ages and they have physical challenges and they can't get around yeah. as well. And for those people that actually have uh, mobility issues, mobility well. issues. Right. How do we make this kind of living mainstream mm. and in the planning so mm. that everybody's served? Yeah, that's, that's what, exactly what we're talking about. And is this from uh, kind of government mandated down to you? Or how do you have this charge? No, I, think, I think it was in the works already. Um, I think a lot of people do realize that we've got the one map, we've got geospatial. That's a lot more than can be done. I think we're just scraping the surface. Mm -hmm. So since I've come on board, we've been energizing the team to look at what other possibilities there are. And to the extent, as you mentioned about mobility, um, most recently we, we met up with a, a mayor of one constituency in Singapore. And what we said to the mayor was that, Mayor, we have one map app. I think there's a lot more can be done if you want to help um, the poor and needy amongst you, the, the constituents that are living in your vicinity. Um, why I say that? Because a lot of times, well-intended well corporate donors will donate money, um, you know, volunteers will, will deliver a pack of, of goods, right? You have your Maggi Mee, your instant noodles, your bag of rice, rice, canned food. But actually, are you really meeting their needs? Because if you visited some of these old folks, uh, I remember watching a, a Channel 8 um, kind of a docu documentary where they visited some of these old folks in their house when they opened their cupboard. They've got <laughs> stacks of rice, piles of canned food and uh, instant noodles have gone bad. So what about mapping those specific needs to those families in a more targeted way? I think from that perspective, you, you reduce wastage, you reduce resources, and I think you meet the needs of the individual clients as well. So but is that something that a nonprofit's going to do or you're saying SLA is going to take that off? We're saying that what we're saying is that SLA has this technology, this platform. We, want, we don't want to be prescriptive. We don't want to imagine what you would do, but be aware of this mm. and then Such opportunity. Yourself. Exactly. And, and the mayor came back to say, he said, 
he or she said, I can't say it's better. <laughs> <laughs> Not many years in Singapore. He or she said, you know what? Why don't we map inclusive employers on the map? And I thought that's a fantastic idea. If you're physically challenged, you would probably want to hunt for an inclusive employer that's nearest to your home, your mm. residence, because traveling or commuting could be an issue. Mm. And that's what we're talking about. Mm. Again, do not be prescriptive. Create awareness. Let the end users, because they know the problems on the ground, let them ideate the solutions. Engage with Paige. This year, I had no New Year's resolutions. Instead, I have a word to guide me, almost like a mantra to direct my mind, body, and soul. My word is accepting because my daughters challenged me to make this my word. At first, I was a bit insulted because I feel like I'm open-minded, accepting, and relevant, but not in my daughter's minds. So I shall persevere to see things more broadly, perhaps trying to see things through their eyes. I'll aim to see their points, life experiences, and challenges with a more open heart, open mind, though I will not throw my moral compass to the wind. And maybe I'll even be a little more accepting of myself since I rarely cut myself any slack. Join me and pick your word. Will it be joy, authenticity, balance? Let me know. Yeah. No, I mean, this is very um, uplifting. But I want to bring up one thing. Mm. <laughs> About 10 years ago, I bid on but mm. failed to get a black and white. It's a precious commodity, page. <laughs> <laughs> and the process was completely antiquated. Right. Uh, I had to bid with a paper ballot. Yeah. You don't know what the other person is bidding. Yeah. Um, I looked online this morning to make sure that it's still done this way. <laughs> and you still have to do it through a sealed envelope to an SLA yeah. box um, when you're putting in your tender. So don't we want to put the bidding process online, join yeah. the 21st century, and it's going to actually maximize profit for SLA? Yeah. Pitch, you're absolutely right. In fact, the team is looking into this. So it's all about, it's all about customer interface. It's about CX, right? And UX, right? User experience. So from that perspective, you know, we discuss internally as well. How do we make a process like this as seamless as possible, as fast-free as possible? And I say to the team, let's not look at what, you know, the other governmental agencies in different countries are doing. Let's look at the booking engine. It's, it's essentially a booking engine. Mm -hmm. Who are the best booking engines in, 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 this, in this world? Let's talk about Airbnb. How can we learn? Obviously, Airbnb has a very large IT budget. We don't have that kind of budget. But are there elements of Airbnb's booking system or engine that works that we can follow? So things like user interface, a website. I think if you go to the this morning, the, the website he probably went into is probably very regulated. Mm -hmm. It feels very stoic, mm -hmm. right? There are different boxes here and there. It's a lot of information. I think in that respect, we ought to change that. In fact, the team is looking into that, trying to revamp the website, the booking website. Um, it's got to be interactive. It's got to be personal. So what you may see in the new revamp is that you've got a large picture, not just of the property, but of the lifestyle mm -hmm. of the property. That's what gets people engaged. Then information about the property attributes, the GFA, the NLA, the, the land size, um, when is it coming on board? Yeah, I think that's super important because I know <laughs> recently when I was looking, it's, it's you you find out about something a month before and yeah, we're yeah. when we're looking at changing where we're going to live, it Absolutely happens right. more than 30 days Absolutely in advance. Right. So increasingly what we're going to do is that what about the listing of future 
future properties are coming on stream, you know, six months down the road, three months down the road, something you're looking into it as well. But there's also the sensitivity. If, if you're a tenant staying in one of the properties is coming on board or will be released for tenant six months down the road, you don't necessarily want your property to be surfaced up front. So, so there, there are issues like this that we're going to balance out, but notwithstanding that, I think we want to have a revamped website that's a lot more friendly, easy, um, not cluttered with information, a lot more pictures, more more invoking in terms mm-hmm. of uh, of the sense of being, mm-hmm. and and coming back to the miracle question about bidding, that's what we want to do as well to see whether other submissions can be do online. I mean, we are the twenty first century, right? Uh, so so we are moving in the respect directionally. Yeah, I have no doubt that you're going to make it happen, <laughs> but I just had to bring that up. Yeah, I know. And before you were talking about your goal is to maximize value for state property. And I think one of the ones that SLA is looking at uh, very closely right now is Gilman Barracks. Oh, yes. And I've been in Singapore for 15 years, and I feel like there have been several pushes to try to get it to take off. It's failed. It's never taken off like Dempsey has. There's a $2 million investment Mm. in Gilman now. So so why is it going to work this time? You know, I've got a personal connection to Gilman. Um, I lived in Tolublanga for for eight years. Tolublanga uh, is not far from Gilman. And in fact, uh, my job prior to SLA Phrases, my office is just right across the road. Mm-hmm. So I do look at, literally look at Gilman Barracks for the last 10, 15 years. It's a beautiful piece of real estate. Yeah, the space is amazing. Beautiful. Central part of Singapore, foliage. You've got park connectors. The cyclists are there. The hikers are there. You've got an MRT station, Labrador Park Station, which is not too far away. Large greenery, large grounds, uh, plenty of car park spaces as well. Mm-hmm. So that's one. It's a great location. The second thing, increasingly, as you see property developments across Singapore, they are increasingly becoming mixed-used. You no longer have a, a, or you hardly get a single residential tower, a single office tower, a single retail mall. It's all about mixed use. Mm-hmm. The mixed use. Uh, why I bring that up? I think for a beautiful piece of real estate like like Gilman Barracks is it cannot be a single purpose property. The current, it can't be just art galleries. It can't be just art gallery. You need your ancillary facilities. You need your FMBs, and not just FMBs that's open for a certain hour. You need your all round, all the clock, round the clock stuff. So that's what we've been doing. I mean, the, the the challenge is there, but I think we are pretty encouraged. We as a team has has been very encouraged, and I think the difference that we have done this time round is that you know even before the tender came about. The team was very proactive. We went on the ground, spoke with the tenants, spoke with uh, would-be tenants, physically go on the ground, talk to different people, ideate, mm-hmm. seed. Just, you talk to, yeah, I mean, if you speak to my colleagues, uh, I keep using the word seed, proactive seeding, a lot of seeding. And you have a better appreciation of what the needs are on the ground. When we launched the tender for five units, the results we just announced two, three weeks ago, very encouraged by it. People are, uh, 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 I mean, there would be tenants, some in very interesting names, two new names. Even the current incumbent tenants, they are refreshing it. And I think the eva- the other important point I want to make is that not just in terms of mixed-use development, it's the way how SLA conducts its tender. It's not the highest renter will win. In fact, specific to this SLA Gilman Barracks tender, we went on a price and quality approach. A higher weightage was given to quality. So it was 40% based on price, mm-hmm. 60% based on quality, meaning what is, what is, the, what is the business idea that you will, will bring to the table? How much capex are you going to do? And we also included sustainability points. If you have water saving features, you have LED features, if you have community involvement, 
um, you know, then you get more points. EV charging. EV charging that yeah. came about as well, you know. And, and I think that's the space that SLA would sh- can play and should play. Otherwise, we're no different from another real estate investment trust that tries to maximize, you know, financial returns. Mm. Well, I, again, just like you're going to improve the bidding, I know that Gilman, is, <laughs> Gilman so, has become but, a sexy fun place that's from- not dead at 11 o'clock at yeah. night. Maybe most important for me is handlebar going to stay? Yes. <laughs> With EV charging. <laughs> so handlebar is like this motorcycle yeah, yeah, bar. Exactly. And uh, my husband's crazy over motorcycles. So. In fact, you mentioned about handlebar. I mean, uh, the cycling, I mean, cyclists. It's, it's a lot of cyclists plying on West Coast Road every weekend. And in fact, for this tender, our, our guys spoke with cyclists as well. I mean, uh, and we know from them that uh, a lot of them are, I, sh- I don't know whether I should be saying this, but a lot of them are about my age, middle-aged men in Lycra. So the acronyms, coming back to acronyms, MAMIL, right? M-A-M-I-L, <laughs> with expensive bikes. But the common refrain from the cyclists that we spoke with is that there's no pit stop. They like the area. They, they ride on West Coast Road, but there's no pit stop. Right. Why don't we make Gilman Barracks a pit stop? So when we scope our tender, we actually mentioned that. And I think one of the incoming tenants are going to have a very simple bicycle repair station. Fabulous. Vending machines, uh, very simple stuff. And that's, that's what we said. You know, that's what we meant. It's, it's, the, the demand is there. How do we just filter them and funnel them in? And, and we want to pitch this as a, uh, a friendly environment for, for different age groups, uh, different, different people, different families as well. Yeah. Another thing I really wanted to talk to you about is this whole notion of the digital twin. Mm. I mean, how does that serve us? I get it. I understand yeah. what it is. Yeah. But how is that going to make our lives better? Yeah. You know, good thing that you mentioned about digital twin. Uh, that's basically under the geospatial part of it. Let's, let's look at it from a uh, kind of a top-down perspective. So where the planners are involved, if we have a 3D digital twinning, a uh, digital replica of the physical Singapore, what the planners can do is that they can model, can do the modeling and simulation about, about wind across Singapore. Where is the wind coming from? How do you design buildings? Where is the heat coming from? I think from the, from the end user consumers, it's all about understanding what the different features are around you. You know, for, for the perspective, um, if you're looking for a house, for example, to rent or to buy, something that we recently signed MOU with the, the property agencies of Singapore, the top five property agencies. Uh, what this means with a 3D digital twin technology is that we have a feature called uh, shadow casting. Meaning if you, were, if you were to hunt for a property, a condo unit or whatsoever, there is a feature that allows you to understand where the western sun is, where the shadow casting is. Another feature that we are very fairly proud of is that you can imagine a view from level 10 of the particular stack of, of condo you, that you're looking at or the HDB block you're looking at and imagine the view as though you would be standing on level 10 of the unit, level 25 of the unit. And I think for, for schools and, and people with children, uh, I mean, uh, families or, or listeners with children, it's about finding out where your nearest walking distance mm-hmm. is from, from gate A of your property to, you know, to a particular gate B of, of your identified or targeted primary school. It still works in progress. It's by no means the perfect thing, but it's a lot more that can be done. Um, and I think the other interesting feature of, of which uh, we talk about metaverse, right? I mean, metaverse is like everybody claims to know something, but nobody knows everything about metaverse. Who wants to know what's, what shape and form is going to be like? Mm-hmm. But I think from, from our perspective, from SLA, we want to be on top of the game. Uh, I think we want to know what's happening. And the funny thing is that we already have a digital twin. In the metaverse, it's a digital 
um, platform as well. Is there merits to marry the two together? But then you'd have to buy the virtual land. Perhaps so. But some folks, uh, understandably, we're looking at something that's agnostic. Right. I mean, I think you're very familiar with this view a lot more than me. You've got the private sector companies trying to claim, uh, claim dominion or be dominant in this space. But I think a lot of folks want an agnostic platform for us to play around with and not be held ransom or hostage by a particular private sector companies. Right. Do we know what we are doing? Definitely not. But we want to stay in the game. Um, and for the matter, you know, we talk about the physical properties that SLA has, given the fact they have a digital twin. We're in fact trying to try something different. Uh, what, we are, what we're thinking about in trying something different is that I'm talking to some companies where, you know what, company A, I want you to be a digital tenant as well as a physical tenant. Mm -hmm. Meaning, in the digital space, digital tenant, you, 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 may have, you may have a community of followers like the collectibles of models of, of special uh, sneakers and they're very large following. And if you are a lawyer follower, you go into the website, you go to the digital space or the metaverse, you can see a thousand models. But to see the top 20 or top 25 models, you come to the physical space. For example, a block in Gilman Barracks. Mm -hmm. I think what this means is that there's a conduit right. between the physical. It's a bridge. Absolutely, a bridge between the physical and digital. And I think I think that's you cannot run away from omni-channel. Um, back in those days where you've got the physical supermarkets, you've got the online shopping, increasingly you find companies, either, well, they, they probably originate from either side of the fence and they cross fence and you've got to have a complete package. So something that the team is talking about, talking to people, will it work? We're not sure. But if it fails, just shut it down yeah. from the perspective. Well, I think the only way it's going to work initially is to bridge. Yes. Because we've seen with Meta putting in 10 billion. Yes, that's article today as yeah. well. It's 10 a million universe. And, and nobody's there. You yeah, know? And yeah. it's expensive and nobody's there Absolutely. and it's just not working. So we're going to have to have a big bridge Absolutely. between Web 2 and Web 3 before I everybody so. jumps into that whole meta space. You know, yeah. Before you get it converts solely and believing in the product of Web 3. Right. Yeah. Well, tell me this because property prices in Singapore mm. are crazy, mm. very, very, very high. But we hear of a looming recession. Mm. Mm. So when you look into your crystal ball, mm. do you have any guidance for buyers, well, sellers? That's, that's a very big question, bitch. Yeah. Uh, first of all, no one has a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. But I think I think the beauty of, of Singapore controlling COVID fairly well, I would say fairly well, is that I think we have demonstrated the fact that this is a nation that can pull things together, can make things work. Um, and I, I, in fact, I do recall when I first joined SLA, you know, um, we could still go out and eat, subject to five masks as well. And I feel blessed to be here in Singapore. But I think the flip side of it is that because we controlled it so well, people beginning to think, people who are not living in Singapore, you know, people from outside Singapore, then realize that, you know what? This little place called Singapore, notwithstanding it's 730 square kilometers, is slightly small, but things work. I have confidence in how things work. Infrastructure works. Internet works. Banking services work. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. And you've been here for how long? 15 years. 15 years. This is a testimony. But of course, along with that comes other issues as well. I mean, we are a fairly small space. How do we find enough units, dwelling units? 
So it's a very delicate balancing act. Um, again, no crystal ball, but you can see that the folks who are in charge of this are trying their ways and means to see what is the best approach yeah. here. And I feel like they've tried with property and it kind of hasn't worked. Yeah, I don't know. Prop and property to the Asians is such an Asian thing, right? I mean, Paige, where, I think a lot of European societies is about leasing. But in the Asian part of the world, it's all about owning. And we have such, we're such sticklers for owning properties. So I don't know. Many people listening to the podcast, it's a young demographic. They're yeah. very interested in sustainability. We talked oh. about the EV charging at mm. Uh, mm. Uh, Gilman. Yeah. So how heavy is sustainability playing at SLA? I'm very conscious of much of the land yeah. in Singapore is reclaimed land. We've yeah. got rising sea levels. Yeah. Is it something you stress oh, over? Very, very large part of the work. Um, in fact, I mentioned about 2,700 properties. These are old properties. These are not new properties. In fact, adaptive use of a property, to me, is sustainable itself. Instead of demolishing a property and then you build up again, think about the carbon uh, footprint that you have laid. But if we already have existing properties, why don't we make use of it? I mentioned about disused school buildings, right? Mm -hmm. Large grounds, large car parks, easy ingress, easy egress. Um, and in a catchment of heartland locations, why can't we make them or convert them into incubator spaces? Think about the, the school hall. It could be a last quarter mile fulfillment center, parcel sorting. Uh, think about the canteen. It's, it can be a ghost kitchen. Mm. Think about the classrooms, level one to three, very low rise classrooms, uh, pretty much modular in that sense. Why don't we get um, social incubator spaces? Be there and then have a low rental from the perspective, as I mentioned, we do on a, on a PEQ basis. The, the large fields, the courtyards, community bonding, community farms. So I think a lot of that can be done. I mentioned earlier in, in terms of the, the new tenders, the Gilman barracks of the world, we are incorporating sustainability uh, factors into it as well. Um, something I want to mention about sustainable is that, you know, geospatial, in fact, it can be a critical enabler for sustainability. In fact, um, last month, SLA signed a Memorandum of Understanding, MOU, um, with NUS, the Center of Climate Change, um, headed by Professor Kolian Pin. Um, what this MOU does is that Prof. Co's team now has access to all the data to better estimate carbon sinks across Singapore. Mm -hmm. Why? Because, as you can imagine, SLA, we have a digital map, we have got one map. We actually take area photographs of Singapore, and we go on the ground when you have a... Um, then the car that is mounted on the 360-degree camera, we're taking LiDAR scans of the whole of Singapore. So what this means is that when there are uh, places of carbon sink, the forest, for example, different species of trees has been mapped out. I think Prof Coast team now has a better approximation, better realisation, estimation of exactly how to quantify the amount of carbon sinks in different parts of the world. That's just one. Second thing, we think about climate change. Uh, not just a city-state, Singapore is an island. So it is an existential threat. Um, I think listeners may not know this, but 30% of Singapore actually lies less than 5 metres above the mean sea level. And we don't have much to start with. With 3D digital twinning, with all this data, what it means is that I think um, planners can do forecasting, modelling and simulation of inland flooding. If, if heavy rainfall occurs at what rate, what, which areas will be affected. So some of the things are important. Um, I mentioned about the fact that we have a one map, something you're tinkering about. Why don't we think about a, a, a green map of sorts over and above a one map, meaning I spoke about common sink. 
which are the areas that has carbon sink and what quantities? That's one. Uh, EV charging points, for example. Mm -hmm. Where are they? We know they are there, but where exactly are they? You think about solar. Which parts of Singapore has solar potential at its maximum? Which parts have are not? Think about it seems like there's so much potential stations. here. So it's, many things, so yeah. many things. And, and we don't want to be prescriptive. Uh, we want to raise awareness. The folks on the ground who are in this business, they know exactly what to do. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love that you said is the whole idea of community farming. Yeah. That's yeah. like such a cool idea. And I think you have so many young people who would really yeah, want to yeah, be a yeah. part of that. And yes. the other thing is you were talking about flooding. Yeah. And it still blows my mind after living here for 15 years that when yeah. it rains, yeah. people can't drive here. Yeah. You know, people cannot drive when it rains in Singapore and yeah. it rains all the time. It's like you have, you should be able to yeah, drive in the rain these days. Of course, we are blessed to live in this little island where when we say flooding is, is by no means equivalent to the flooding that you hear oh, of course. In overseas. Yes. It's really inconvenience more than calamities from the perspective. It's true. But having said that, you know, there's always room for improvement. I'm joking about that, yeah, but I it just kills yeah. me that every time it's raining, it's like, it's like traffic's at a standstill. <laughs> Yeah. But we live on the equator. We get rain. It's going to happen. All the time, yeah. yeah. So I want to focus more now kind of on your career struggles hmm. and your advice to our oh, listeners my. out there. Yeah. What's your biggest or worst career struggle? I think in terms, I think professionally, um, I think COVID. COVID really, really, I don't think there was any event like a COVID. Um, and I, I came from a hospitality sector. As you can imagine, if people are not traveling, nobody's going to come. There ain't no hospitality. There ain't no hospitality. <laughs> um, as opposed to if you're a landlord of a office building or retail or so and so forth, the leases are fairly long. I mean, you talk about office leases, they're five years, they're seven years. Um, the retail tenants, two years, three years. So there's still income coming in. But hospitality, occupancy can literally drop to zero. And that's what we face because there's never been such an unprecedented event where travel across the world stops at the same time. Right. So it was very challenging. Um, uh, different, different challenges from different societies, different locations, and 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 staffing. Staffing is a problem. Um, when when we had SARS back then, right in uh, 03, it was it was three months. We thought it were fairly end soon, and it did. I think pretty much within five months it ended. But when we were in January 2020, we thought this would be like SARS. Right. Let's have a three months plan. Let's have a six months plan. Who's to know that it went on for so long? But these are calamities that the world gave you. Have you had any struggles that you've overcome? Yeah, I think the reason why personally? I mentioned this because it translated to something personal. Because with hospitality, you've got a full strength of staffing. So how do you? Weigh the balance because you you are there's no way that you can actually get everybody still on a payroll for two years without any kind of a business coming in. So that was very hard decisions personally, and it wasn't an easy decision to make that we have to ask some people to go. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I think it was very deliberate. We kept it voluntarily in that sense, and some people took it. Um, and and the remaining stuff that we had, we got to see how best to energize them in a different way. So, so whilst it may be a calamity that's pretty much across board, but how it hits every one of us individually is quite different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just to add on that point about, um, about um, how COVID hit people, when I first joined, the very first day I joined an organization, I remember um, it was all my heads of departments in the boardroom. And I said this, I said, thank you. 
And the reason why I said this was because of this, right? You know, during COVID, when we had um, safety distancing, remember that days, those days, mm -hmm. uh, where there's two meters, there's one meter, and then you have safe distancing ambassadors, SDAs, right? They were prowling around telling people, you know, stay away, kept to five. I didn't know that um, those SDAs that I saw walking around Dempsey, I thought they were they were contracted or displaced um, staff from, from the airline industry, hospitality industry. But little did I know now that actually for the very first six months to nine months when COVID first hit, those SDAs uh, walking around Dempsey, which is an SLA property, are actually my nine to five uh, colleagues. So over and above their regular day work, um, a lot of them stepped up volunteered to be SDAs. And back then, there was pre, there was pre-vaccine. So imagine the stigma, right? Those folks with young families um, volunteered for this, stepped up uh, in the evenings. Uh, and it wasn't an easy job, right? Telling yeah. people to bust off, <laughs> wear your mask properly. And so just not just limited to SLA, but across board, the board, um, the folks that you see, SDAs in the parks, from M parks, these are all volunteers for, for the first, at least six to nine months. So... Very, very humbling experience. Yeah, yeah. you're rightly proud of them. Yeah. Colin, tell me, are there certain habits that you think are important for success? Um, when I think back, I think read widely. Um, for me, personally, I, I find a lot of comfort in reading autobiographies. Not the... Uh, not those books that extol 10 leadership traits, but rather <laughs> what a certain business person went through. You know, I mentioned earlier that I did not have a mentor, but in fact, I find mentorship from those books that I read, be it Trevor Noah, how did he come from South Africa to be the uh, very popular comedian, the struggles that he went through, um, be it uh, Bob Eager, the previous CEO of, um, of uh, Disney, how, mm -hmm. how he has changed the business, the challenges that he faced, and funnily enough, when you read through some of these stories, there is a parallel <laughs> to what uh, you are going through. Um, so from that perspective, um, read widely. And the reason why I say this is also because, as I mentioned, I did business development across different countries. Sometimes when you're talking to a foreigner, be, be it a Japanese or a German, you'd be surprised what the connection will be if you happen to read something off the cuff a particular sake from a particular county in Japan, a prefecture. And when you mention this to your Japanese counterpart, you can talk about business all you want, but that little mention of the sake... Endears you. Endears him or she a lot more than myself. And mm. then you'd be surprised what kind of follow-up conversations there'll be. That's that's the attachment. And, and, and I mentioned this very uh, openly, and I said, read newspapers as well. Um, you know, back in back in phrases when I was uh, interviewing, well, on, I was on an interviewer panel uh, for the young folks about management associates. I asked the younger folks, uh, I'm not generalizing here, I'm not stereotyping. Uh, how do you consume? Where do you read your news? A lot of them said social media. And we know, all know how social media works, right? Silos. Silos. It's an echo chamber. Because you read a certain stuff, more of that stuff will be get pushed to you. And then you find that, you know what, you're missing out all these other bits of information. I, I would argue newspapers are much the same. So if, you, <laughs> if you're going to read newspapers, you need to read broadly. Actually, you know what, listen to page <laughs> podcast. That's where you get a more varied, uh, more varied um, sense, yeah, in that sense, and inputs. Well, can you tell us, do you have any self-doubts that plague you still today? Always, no, always. Uh, um, and I think, I think self-doubt is good. It it forces you to take stock, check back. Um, I mean, like I said, this is my very first public sector role. 
when I came on board, people are gonna, who's this person? How is he wired? And that's what I mentioned earlier. I was I was just being brutally honest. I shared very personally my upbringing, and all that. And and I think that's the authenticity that I spoke about. That's important. Self doubt in the sense that when I say something, a lot of people. I mean, as you would know, right? People would nod their heads in the agreement, but you really, really, really would never, never know how do you really think. So where is that channel? How do you create a channel? Well, I know that you have three young children. Yes, I do, yeah. And I also know that work-life balance is something that is on everybody's tongue. <laughs> I mean, it's something that everybody's very worried about. So do you have any guidance on how to have a healthy work-life balance? I don't know whether I'm equipped nor at the right place to give advice. Uh, Paige, you have two, two very energetic uh, young daughters as well. But I think, I think COVID is the largest social experiment. Um, in a way, COVID hits as all these uh, pitfalls and everything else. But you also introduced working from home. And, and, and I think uh, parents of young children, or not just young children, but if you have elderly parents, you were really, we really, I really appreciated the fact that, you know, sometimes uh, when you have a Zoom call at night, it really allows you to send your kid to school, mm. you know, uh, perhaps your youngest kid for kindergarten. Otherwise, a lot of us would have spent time traveling, commuting or on buses, trains, or even driving to work. Um, so the little advice, if I well, I wouldn't say it's advice, but what I went through, it's it's really try to find some time with your children. Um, and, and the funny thing about COVID, we couldn't travel. <laughs> so in my previous um, Fraser's role, I had to travel a lot. Uh, with COVID, you you couldn't travel. You begin appreciate the little things in life. Um, now that we are pretty much uh, hopefully the tail end of COVID, things are resuming. In fact, what we are having right now is revenge travel. Revenge travel, revenge, revenge travel, spending. Right? I <laughs> revenge see it. spending. Yes. It brings you a different slant, a different slant of things. But it's all about it's all about balancing, I think, um, and and not bring things back home. Uh, you, I, I do clear my emails at home, but the issues, I try to leave it as much as possible because. I don't think any issue will be uh, insurmountable from their respect. Yeah. All right. Well, one of the things I do appreciate that happened because of COVID is that whole idea of a Zoom meeting. Because yeah. there are times, like for me, looking yeah. at you face-to-face -face as we have this yeah. conversation, yeah. that I think makes it more engaging and more interesting. Definitely. But I do think that when you're doing an organizational meeting, yeah. it's very easy to do it through Zoom. Yeah. And yeah. so that also allows you to spend more Understand. time at home. So yeah. I, I appreciate you know, that but, too. But the flip side of a Zoom meeting is I realized they pack Zoom meetings back to back. When you have a 9 to 10, the next one is 10 to 11, 11 to 12, there's no downtime at all. So it's, it's about balancing. I mean, we need to have a little break in between it and you know, all of us need downtime. Well, as we close, I wonder, is there a question you'd like to ask me? You have two young children, energetic daughters. Well, one is 14 and one is 19, so <laughs> not <young>. so young. <laughs> Different kind of issues, but how, how, why start this? Why start this past the power? What well, drives you? Yeah, It all started during COVID mm. and many people on Instagram were writing me and they were kind of lost and wanted conversations of hope. Yeah, And I've been thinking about a podcast I've been writing for the newspaper and I was like, yes, I, I want to do that, this. Yeah. I really want to do it. And I think the fact that I can have you here to perhaps inspire someone, embolden someone, engage someone, mm. to think about things differently, to, to look at life differently, to look mm. at their career differently. That's why I want to do it. Right. Because I think we need that. Yeah. When you read the newspaper, when you listen to so much social media, it's just negativity. Mm. So for us Agreed. to come together and Agreed. have a, a meaningful, positive conversation that will leave someone inspired to have a better day, yeah. that's my idea of passing the power.
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the platform and, and rightly said, right? Past the power. That's that's empowering people in different forms and ways as well. Very different list of speakers that you have had. So the diversity of thought, I, I'm sure, it's very enriching for your listeners. I hope so. And on that note, can you end by giving us the best advice oh to pass the power <laughs> on to our career-minded listeners? Be authentic. You can't claim the person that you are not to be. Uh, be authentic, be truthful, treat everybody equally. And, you know, I, I grew up in Red Hill. You know, Red Hill in the 80s was a gangster's paradise. As a boy growing up in Red Hill, would I have imagined um, doing business development, traveling around the world, staying in nice hotels? I would never, never have imagined that when I was a kid growing up in Red Hill. Um, things somehow fell into place. I never sought out for things. So like I said, treat everybody equally. And I think there's karma in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, like what you said, positivity. I think if you're positive about things, and, and I think the challenge is to be positive about things, even though it's not to your advantage. I think that's the crucial bit. If you can display that, you can demonstrate that. I think people will recognize you and remember you. It could be 10 years ago, it could be 20 years ago. You'd be surprised what new interactions will come out years later that you have never imagined in a different location, in a different situation, different circumstance. But one of the things you've said this twice is that you didn't seek out yeah. the next advancement. Yeah. But I want everybody out there to know you did say yes to life. You said yes, <laughs> yes. to the next opportunity. I did, I did. Yes. So you've always been passionate about going yeah, yeah. forward and bettering yeah. yourself and doing the next great thing. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Well, thank you for sharing, Colin. We appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Paige. Thanks very much. Yeah. That wraps another fascinating conversation to offer food for thought and a different perspective and hopefully inspire you to live life fully with passion. Hopefully you'll appreciate the tangible takeaways and meaningful stories. Message me on Instagram at I am Paige Parker and let me know how we can do this better. As always, thank you for listening as together we pass the power.